You're listening to So You Want to Be a Photographer with Gina Militia, one of Australia's leading portrait celebrity and lifestyle photographers. With over 25 years' experience in the industry, Gina is a pro photographer who regularly travels the world shooting for some of the country's top magazines and advertisers. She is author of four best-selling books on photography, runs workshops and mentors aspiring photographers all around the world. In conversation with journalist, interviewer and budding amateur photographer Valerie Koo, Gina reveals what it takes to build a successful photography business, provides a sneak peek into life behind the lens and talks about her tips and techniques to get the perfect shot. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 225 of So You Want to Be a Photographer. My name's Valerie Koo, and I'm here with Gina Militia. How are you, Gina? I actually think I'm going deaf, Val, in one ear. Uh, what do you think that could really? be? Hi, Why listeners. Hi, everyone. I'm good, aside <laughs> from that. Yeah. It could be sudden onset deafness. Do you think? It's a thing. Yeah. We, you reckon- we have a mutual friend who oh, has it. Yes. Yeah, sudden onset deafness. It's not all the time, though. Okay, yeah. sudden onset intermittent deafness. Intermittent deafness. Mm. Yeah. Do you yes. think I'm just overtired because been... I just spent the last half hour complaining to you? <laughs> <laughs> that could be it, yes. But have you been swimming lately? I think that's what happened to our friend. Uh, well, if you went outside in Melbourne this past week, you could just step out the door and have a swim. We've had that much rain, but no, I haven't wow. been swimming. I will be swimming in a couple of days, Val, but I haven't been swimming yes, lately. Yes, because you're going to? Off to Bali. <sighs> Again. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Got to do what I got to do, Val, you know? I know. What are you going to do in Bali, Gina? So I will get a swim in and uh, I will be shooting. Yeah. And Swim will... in the ocean? Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. And I'll get to uh, a couple of the islands while I'm there. So should be good. And what do you do on the islands? Uh, just do stuff. It, it's like, what do you do in Hawaii, Val? What did you do in Hawaii? I spoke at a conference. And what else? Um, I, uh, tried to eat these eggs, right? Because I'm obsessed with eggs and there's this place called eggs and things that has all, every kind of egg kind of variation. And I went there last time and I thought, I've got to go back to eggs and things. And I don't know what went wrong, but every time I went, I just miss, like I just missed lunch or I just missed, it just closed for the next three hours or something. So... I did not fulfill my goal of going to eggs and things. Hello, any Hawaiians, you'll know what I'm talking about. Yeah, is that like a is that like the Cheesecake Factory? This is a photography podcast. You, if yeah, any new is. listeners, we just have to get the banter out of like you know. We'd like to warm the up to up things. We can't just go way. cold into the you know dropping knowledge. We 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 need to yeah. yeah warm it's up about first. two blocks down from the Cheesecake Factory on Waikiki, and it's just that I love eggs like so much. Um, yeah, but like, but Val, that's beside the point. You don't know. Like, it's not right. The runny whites is not right. It's got to be 
So. Uh, okay, so <laughs> that's right. We've had this conversation mm. and I'm sure people do not want to be bored yep. with our, you know, differing opinions of soft-boiled eggs. Yep. One day I will make you my version no. of soft-boiled eggs. No. Anyway, <laughs> we want to give a big shout-out to everybody who uh, posted pictures of your backyard. Now, in a previous episode, we said, please show us your backyard because that was inspired by Dawn. And Dawn had left us, kindly left us a review and rating on iTunes and made reference to uh, traipsing around on her farm. And we wanted to have a look at it. And she kindly identified herself and also posted a photo of her backyard in the Facebook group. Now, if you're not a member of the listener Facebook group, Make sure you join. It's free to join. Uh, just go, just search for So You Want to Be a Photographer podcast community on Facebook and request to join. We'd love to have you in there. Anyway, Dawn posted this awesome picture of her farm or her backyard and it's a gorgeous setting of trees with a couple of cows. I think they're cows. They're cows. And it looks like it's probably sunset and the trees Sunrise. are back. This is sunrise and the trees are um it's a, it's a silhouette of the trees and the cows but the sun is peeking through Might the tree sunset, leaves to, towards <laughs> towards the camera and it's you know god light and so it's a fantastic shot so dawn i love it and i love how her photography business is called new day photography yes. because dawn no, get it get it so <laughs> um and uh, she she posted this gorgeous photo, which we will put um we'll put a picture of it in the show notes so you can check it out there. And if you're in the Facebook group, she also included a little video of her chickens coming out of the coop. So what an idyllic way to have a backyard! I think that's awesome. And we've got some beautiful backyards. We've got from some our fantastic backyards. So diverse. From from Ari in Helsinki. Now, uh, Ari's backyard, it looks like a view taken from the top floor of maybe like a four or five-story building of uh, the some buildings in Helsinki, and it looks really good. That it looks, looks like um, – it looks very European. Yeah. Um, and uh, and really, really beautiful. Brian has posted an iconic scene. I think you mentioned to me before we started recording, Gina, that it looks like a scene from Giant, yes. as in the movie with yeah. James Dean. Yeah. And it does. It's got these oil, I don't even know what they're called, but the oil things that pump oil out of the ground. Yeah. And, again, it looks like it's sunset, but maybe it's sunrise. And they're fields with this, these oil contraptions um, in it, and it's a great, great shot. So it's um, it, – oh, it's, it's, it's actually sunrise. Yeah. And that is uh, um, where, where Brian spends the majority of his days. So I love it that there's, the, there's this iconic sort of country scene um, – Looks like it should be Texas or something, but I'm not entirely sure where it is. And then there's Scylla who posted a photo of her backyard, which is a car yard. <laughs> yeah, and that ute, there's a red ute in the front there, 47,000 on the road for that one because I asked. Okay, yeah, and all of those mm. fantastic, all of those images we'll put in the show notes, which you can uh, find at ginamilitia.com. Now, this week, we have some interviews. Mm-hmm. Who with? So, um, I have lately been geeking out 
uh, on a podcast mm-hmm. called The Future of Photography, and it is all about what the advances in the technology to do with photography and, and what's been happening with that. So you, you know that there's been some like incredible advances in technology, like especially yeah. in the, well, definitely in the last 20 years. We started with the, you know, uh, the, the invention of like digital photography. We all embraced that. And then it's just gotten faster and faster and faster. Uh, phone photography has gone from being something that was like a novelty to people are using their phones on commercial shoots now. It's, it's Amazing, gotten right? that good. And, and then we see like faster and better autofocus. We see uh, mirrorless is definitely here to stay and mirrorless will soon completely replace DSLR. There's been huge advances in post-production and I, I keep going on and on and on and on about um, – how good Photoshop is getting and, you know, 3D rendering and uh, the content aware feel. If you haven't tried it, have a play around. Everything, Lightroom, the way we process our file, drone, the, the technology, like there's these drones that, that they just fly and they can go around trees. They're smart enough to know. They can track people. It's just like this is all stuff that we thought might happen it's like you know did you watch the jetsons when you were a kid val you saw the flight uh, sometimes not a lot yeah. but yes i know what you but mean it's all the stuff of that like you know it won't be long before we we have flying cars they're going to test them in melbourne i think uber uh the flying cars so at some point so what i wanted to know is how what is ha- what's in the pipeline what does the future of photography look like for the next 5 10 15 years and uh, how is that going to impact uh, photographers because we know that some of these developments have had a positive impact like photography has become uh, the barrier to entry is a lot lower uh, DSLRs are much cheaper my first digital camera was seventeen and a half thousand dollars just for the body mm. val and that was wow. uh, seven six and a half megapixel file size right? And that wasn't yeah, with right. the lenses. So, you know, we can see that it, it's gotten a lot cheaper and much easier uh, to use. And then there's the negative implications of digital. It, is, it used to be that we shot, dropped our films off at the lab, picked them up the next morning. Now we shoot, we go back to our offices and we need to edit those files. And so we're a bit more time poor. So um, there's some exciting inventions in the pipeline that are going to revolutionize the way we the way we do everything so i decided that who better to go to to get all this information than um the hosts of the podcast the future of photography and that's chris marquard and adrian stock and you might um the Chris's name might sound familiar to you, and that's because some of you may have listened to his podcast or may listen to his podcast. Adrian also has, aside from the Future of Photography podcast, he's got the Sunny Sixteen, which is a film photography podcast. But uh, Chris is like uh, almost photography podcast royalty. He's been around since about two thousand and five. I think he's uh, done about eight hundred plus episodes, and between them, they've done thousands of podcasts. So they're Lots of lots and lots of knowledge. Guys, your minds are about to be blown by the information that's coming out. So enjoy. 
Chris and Aid, welcome to the show. How are you going? Well, thanks for having us. Yeah, it's great to be here. I'm so excited to chat to you guys. I have been geeking out over your podcast, The Future of Photography, and I have so many questions and I thought, what better way than to just invite you on the podcast and have a chat to you both. Um, but uh, before we start, so where in the world are you guys? So Aid, you're in the UK, is that right? Yeah, I, I am. I live, uh, depending on your measurement, about 40 miles or 60 kilometres outside of London. So in the south of the UK um, and uh, lived here born and bred. Fantastic. And Chris, where are you right uh, now? I live, I am German. I live in Germany in the in the northern part of Germany near Hanover. Fantastic. And I can't let this uh, opportunity go by without saying that, like, Chris, you, you really are like podcast royalty, aren't you? You've been... <laughs> Like, I have to share a story. So, Chris, uh, my first time was with you. Oh, really? <laughs> and it was good. It was really good. Uh, and I'm talking about podcasting. <laughs> so, I think I listened to my first podcast. I'm going to say, and you can correct me, I'm thinking it was around 2006. Is that when you started Tips from the Top Floor? The, the tips from the top floor started in April 2005, actually, wow. one year earlier than that. But uh, all the old episodes are online, so, so it's all still yeah, around. Yeah, and you, you're around. Kind of embarrassing sometimes. But you've done about 800, is that right, So today? Uh, I think we're in the 870s now or something. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. I have no intention to stop. <laughs> and so you've also got uh, the future of photography, and there's like a whole heap more. Like you've got like got like a million podcasts how many no, others on photography there's only like seven only like and, seven <laughs> and and the photography the photography ones are one two three four four to five so it's not too bad wow so you must love podcasting obviously <laughs> it's it's my medium yes i love it I and love doing that Aid, you've got a couple as well haven't you so there's the future of photography and what's the other one that you do uh, the other one is called Sunny 16, uh, which is a photography podcast uh, based around film photography, particularly. Uh, and uh, we talk about sometimes we talk about the techniques of film photography. Sometimes we have artists on who specialize in, in analog uh, and talk to them about their work. Um, and it's a, it's a great community. And we started that. We're not in the 800s, but we've been going about two and a half years on that now. And, and the community engagement is fantastic around that. It's, it's, it's really good. Fantastic. That, that's awesome. Yeah. And uh, film photography is getting really hot right now and some people are um, uh, getting quite interested in, in all of that. So there's a, a lot more podcasts for our listeners to tune into. So, all right, let's talk about this future of photography. I, I don't think there has been another – I've been shooting for uh, 30 years now and I think uh, in the last, say – uh, 10 years or so, it's completely changed the whole photography world. And I kind of am of the mind that it's gotten a lot easier and in the same, <laughs> it's gotten a lot harder to be a photographer because you just have to know so much more. So um, what do you guys think about all the developments in photography uh, 
who wants to go first? Well, I, I'll have a go at that. Seeing as you said 10 years, because it's probably, it's a bit more than 10 years now, but it, uh, but a bit more than 10 years ago is when I first seriously picked up a, a camera. And I'd had cameras when I was younger, but never really bothered too much about it all. And, uh, you know, I, so 10 years, 11, 12 years ago, I picked up a camera for the first time. And that at that point was a, a digital SLR. And I didn't really know which way to point it, to be honest. Um, uh, and I still have the luxury of being a complete amateur at photography rather than having to make a living out of it. So, uh, you know, but I, I've studied and I've been obsessed uh, and I've learned a lot. Um, but around about the same time, I got my first iPhone as well. And and on the wall in my house, there is a, a photo I took with a very early iPhone, um, iPhone 3G, not not the first ever one, but, right. but very, very, pretty early. And so I, I've grown up with, with both sides of it as a photographer. And uh, I think it's fantastic that the changes are in some ways you're right it's it's so much harder now because everybody's out there doing it but um I, I like that everybody's doing it I like that there's engagement and for me it's a great way to to be social as well as to create good Chris what what are your thoughts on that how, how have you seen like the, I mean I think the biggest development was the biggest change for me was the introduction of digital photography that revolutionized how I work as a photographer and suddenly I went from just shooting the job handing the films in at the lab and picking them up the next morning to shooting the job going home and having to process those images and learn photoshop and lightroom capture one and all of that but I feel that the technology has made like I don't want to go back to those film days. I don't miss sweating on those films going, God, I hope I got the shot. I hope I got the shot. I know I got the shot. F- things like focus are a lot easier and all of that side of it is easier. But, but what, what do you think has been the biggest change in the, in the last little while for you? Well, I I love I love putting things into a bit of a historic context, and we we have had pivot pivotal moments in photography um, over the entire history, like from the bigger bellows cameras to smaller rangefinders. the 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 whole thirty five millimeter format has changed everything back then when Oscar Barnack uh, came up with it. Then uh, at one point the SLR came up, which moved the shutter into the camera. So. Uh, that's when when the German photo industry was pretty much taken over by the, by the Japanese, um, and then we started to see computerization, like chips being in cameras and uh, exposure and focus being kind of taken care of for photographers. And then digital changed everything, and it also democratized photography. So as you said, lots of more people got their hands on uh, cameras on pro grade gear. And that pretty much like it's it's like with desktop publishing, you know, everyone can now make a book if they want to. Yeah. Doesn't mean it has to be a beautiful book, but uh, at least they can do it. And the same is happening in photography. Everyone can now, um, if they want to produce professional material. Um, and that means just that a lot of material is now on the market. And now at, at this time, we are in the middle of the next big thing and that's computational photography that's when everything is about to change again or it's actually in the middle of changing and i like i'm starting to 
be blown away by what is possible now. And I was just like having a, a, a play around in, in the last couple of weeks with Photoshop and the new content aware Phil. Have you guys had a play with that yet? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. And and it's, it's getting more AI supported again because um, I, I haven't had a play with it lately, but I think Adobe is now kind of filling in things in photos that aren't even there. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. So where, like, if you wanted to remove a, a large item from, a, from from an image and if it was a complicated image, you could take a bird out of a sky. It could do that in the past. But now, say if you had a very complicated and busy background and you wanted to remove a person, the way they've configured that content-aware feel now, it's like it blew my mind. I'm like, I can't believe this. This has just gotten really good. It's almost not photography anymore. It's more it, it more delves into into illustration at this point, right? Well, yeah, well that's, that, that's where you get into my area actually, because I you know, I, I often like to think about where's this going in terms of art, mm. you know, and the, the tools are there. And as Chris says, you know, the democratization of the tools is is, is a fantastic thing. But where, but at what point, and, and does it even matter, actually? Does it matter if it's if it's not just plain photography anymore? Aren't we all manipulating our images to some way, shape or form? And uh, it may, maybe the question is, at what point does it start being you that's making the decisions? And maybe when the computer is making the decisions with all of that AI capability. That's an intriguing thought as well. Well, we know that if you shoot in auto with 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 a camera the camera's making a lot of those decisions for you and it's also processing that image based on whatever formula the camera manufacturers are putting into that so i'm seeing just with my little fuji uh, X100F that I've been using lately, you've got the option if you shoot uh, only JPEG, you've got all these different formulas that you can apply to the image and that's not my decision. I can look through the menu and go, that looks good, that black and white and so that you're letting the camera make those decisions for you and I'm seeing it a lot with uh, smartphones as well, like you've seen that the new technology with the uh, the 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 way they photograph faces now, they're altering the face and it's inbuilt into the technology. So you don't really have a choice that, that your face is made thinner and then the, the software will smooth it out and everyone looks amazing. So do, do you think that that's something that's just going to continue to get better and better so that we all look like well, supermodels? It, it's an extension to what has already happened. I mean, uh, I, I, I held a large format photography workshop a few years ago, and one of the participants said, whenever I take a picture with a digital camera, I've, I have the feeling that a Japanese engineer is taking that picture for me, which pretty much comes down to how they programmed the exposure meter and, and the, the, the choice of how to expose a photo, which has already been a very uh, computational thing. And I think what we're seeing here with with changing the content of the photo um is just a continuation of that we have we've had that for a while the all the mirrorless full frame cameras have to do computation to get rid of vignettes and to um to to deal with the the realities the physical realities of what's happening inside the camera so i think we're we're just seeing an extension and i don't think it's going to stop anytime soon so where do you guys think we're heading in terms of uh, AI or computation in photography? Where are we going with all of this? What what what, what do you think? I, I, the, the, one of the companies that we track on the future of photography is NVIDIA. 
who, who many of your listeners might know as a producer, a manufacturer of video cards for computers. But they've invested heavily in AI technology. And they now have, um, if, if you track the research that's coming out of their labs, they can do things like uh, what in Hollywood is called a, a wet down, um, but they can do it with AI. So yeah, you can take a picture of a nice sunny scene, uh, like a road, maybe an urban scene, a, a road with some traffic and, and, and you know, buildings or trees, uh, and they can process it to make it look like it was cloudy and wet. Wow. How, and does it look good? It's getting there. It's wow. getting there. I mean, we were looking, Chris. We were looking at some video, weren't we? And yeah. the video, the video is less good at the moment, but the stills are, are actually quite compelling. At least as they, long as you don't look too closely. <laughs> right. They they managed with their algorithms and their hardware. They managed to turn a winter landscape into a summer landscape, and vice versa. That's amazing. So, you know, it, it, it doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't matter if you go to somewhere at the wrong time of year. <laughs> you, know, you could be visiting a, a famous national park somewhere. You know, oh. and say, I wonder what this looks like with snow. <laughs> and and it also doesn't matter where you shoot now because um, the cameras uh, increasingly capture depth information. They know how far away things are from the camera. So just imagine in, in Hollywood uh, where they if they want to put uh, an actor in some strange environment they would use green screen right they have yeah. to put big green sheets in the back and then replace that with whatever they want to do um, that is not necessary in, in in a very short time this is not going to be necessary anymore because the camera has the depth information so you can just press a button and replace the background no matter where that what that background is you could shoot you should you could shoot game of thrones in the in the parking lot of the studio <laughs> and just replace the background. Same so, with lighting effects. The moment you know the depth information, you know the geometry of an actor's face, you can just put artificial light on that from any direction, any size, any color, and, and make that work. We're not very far from that reality. So does that mean we no longer need to travel to get that selfie in front of the Eiffel Tower? We can just... <laughs> pretty much fake all of that now i'm going around the world and you could take us because who's gonna know this this could be life-saving i mean people die because they want to do a selfie at some dangerous overhang you know that's a good point it could save lives that's an interesting philosophical question though as well gina because you know it, it, do you do you is it such that you know it's not true that you've travelled until you've taken a selfie and shared well, it on social media, or or is it still possible in 2018 to travel just for the sake of travel? I still travel for the sake of travel. I don't post any selfies, so I know that I've been there. But it's it's interesting when you go to some of these hot spots around the world. How many people are just there? You see them, they go, they take a selfie, and they leave. They're not looking around <laughs> to take the selfie. Which, so. which I find, yeah, I find that really strange because one of one of the things that I love about photography is I see the world in a different way. Now I'm a, now I've spent some time practicing and studying photography. I see the world in a different way, and it doesn't matter whether I take a photograph of it or not. And I find that makes my life a lot richer. Well, I think that's the, probably one of the major issues with AI for me is like. I think the way we see and and how we shoot is what defines us as photographers. And uh, like interesting, like we, I know you were saying, Chris, that in Hollywood they can create all these uh, special effects, and you see all the blockbuster movies, and and there's kind of there's a part of your brain that 
sort of not it's not real. Uh, and I was watching uh, A Star Is Born at the cinema a couple of weeks ago, and the part that I loved the most was the way that they filmed it. With a lot of the concert scenes, they they had the camera right in the face of the performers and. The way it was shot, you felt like you were there. And I know they had to use AI to create the crowd scenes in the background, but it was all that the the, the movement of the camera and, the, and that immediacy and the way that you got to connect with the performers that made me feel like I was there. So can I AI recreate that 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 feeling? In an image. I mean, the photography. In the end, it's all about emotion. It's yes. all about how the how the viewer connects with it. And uh, from that point of view, the whole co computational photography, AI, and photography is a means to an end for me. And I, I believe, yes, absolutely, we are at, at, in in many in many movies now. You I, and I'm not talking science fiction. I'm not talking big fantasy stuff. I'm talking regular stuff, everyday stuff. In many of those movies, you cannot really tell if it's real or if it's uh, if it's computational. So we, we it's getting better. It's moving forward, and um, with the with the right at this point with the right budget, you can pretty much create anything you like. All right. So in terms of photography, what else do you see uh, on the horizon with the AI developments there? What, what, what's something we can look forward to or some of the things we can look forward to? Well, mm, that's a good question. It's a good question because there's an assumption there that we need to look forward to it. <laughs> then it's not a bad thing. But if we roll with that assumption for a bit, um, I mean, there, so uh, there's there's some of the things that we 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 try and track through the the future of photography are are, are really research projects, uh, and one that uh, I think Chris, you found this recently is is the AI use of enhancing resolution, isn't it? Oh, that was just spooky. So what what they do, thanks for that prompt. What they do is um, just imagine you have a very low resolution photo and you need it in a higher resolution. So what you would do these days is you would just blow up the resolution, then you get a blurry but higher resolution picture. And then you would try to kind of sharpen it and, and get it to look kind of okay. Uh, there's, some, there's some algorithms out there now that use AI to... Uh, to not just enhance that resolution, that will that that AI will actually generate content to fit in. There's this example of the the feathers of a bird that just don't look nice when when being upscaled, and the AI just created new feathers. They were not the exact same feathers, but close enough and believable enough for this to work really well. It's wow. yeah, the, the, isn't that the wild? Isn't that wild? <laughs> The uses for that uh, potentially. Um, I mean, the the the, tr the problem I get is where I I, I tend to have a, a a brain that sees the the silly things. So what I see then is you know that thing in the TV in the movies where they zoom in on CCTV and you just think to yourself that'll never happen. Yeah. Enhance. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, enhance. Zoom in. Enhance. Zoom in. Yeah. It's a it's a sort of Mission Impossible Tom Cruise kind of thing. You know, um, that that's going to be real soon. Except it's going to be made up. So what are the consequences? of that because you're not really zooming in on real data there wow. so, so, so that's that that's a scary kind of thing and another that, development that i see uh coming at us and it's it's almost there i think in some cases is content recognition so you point the camera at something and and e 
now with your DSLRs and other cameras, um, the camera has to make a decision on how to treat that photo, how to expose it, what settings to use based on just a few uh, pieces of information. Uh, in the future, the camera will know what's in front of it. The cameras now are starting to to be able to recognize thousands of different objects and things that might need their specific settings. And that goes that goes into even uh, in, into even enhancing photos based on what's in them. So today's smartphones are looking at the photo. And they can tell, oh, this is the sky, and this is the this is a, a, a meadow, and this is a tree, and this is a person, and those areas of the photo get their spe- their special treatment, so they look good. So the sky is nice and blue, the the meadow is nice and green, the face uh, has good face, g- good skin tones. Um, that is pretty much on the verge of happening in every photo now. It wow. is, yeah. It is. And, and then fine. So the bit that one of the things that I'm looking forward to is buying a camera that has this stuff built in as opposed to buying a phone. And the, I know the phones are the first ones that have it now. They are the ones that that are at the that, that lead the pack in that respect. But it will all trickle down to other cameras. Yeah. So so I, I think there's so if you think about um, a, you know, a camera that has these depth sensors in you know uh, maybe it has two full fully photographic sensors and it calculates you know uh, off that but maybe the sensors are further apart than they can be in a phone so maybe they are approximating depth a bit more like a human would uh, maybe make that a bit more realistic and certainly easier to calculate the differences if the sensors are further apart. Um, and then maybe uh, that has a bigger sense, th- those sensors are bigger as well. So at the moment we see all of this stuff happening in small sensors, tiny sensors in phones. But what if you could do that with a, a one inch sensor or maybe even t- in time, even like uh, you know, full size sensors? Now, yeah. you know, imagine, the, the, imagine the clarity you can get off that. There, is, there are co- some things that need to happen first in, te- in in the technology space so we need global shutters so you need you need sh- uh, you need uh, sensors that you can read off all at once instead of having to wait and take several milliseconds which is what creates the the what's sometimes known as the rolling shutter or the jello effect um but if you could do that and you could do it with two sensors in a camera uh, yeah that'd be pretty awesome the question is do we need those one inch or bigger sensors in the future because uh google has just released the pixel 3 phone and it has a feature called night sight have you heard of that no <laughs> I, I so have. what so what what they are doing is and the, the tiny small sensors in in that phone are not made to go, to be good at low light photography high isos we all we all we we professionals all know that you need a big sensor to get good low light photography because you have big pixels and there is not so much noise in there. Now, what Google is doing now uh, with a smart smart trickery, they take a whole bunch of pictures even before you press the shutter button. By the way, iPhone does that too. Uh, before you press the shutter button, the moment you switch on the camera, the the camera starts to take pictures of different exposures and. Um, at different shutter speeds, uh, depending on how much motion is in the phone and in the scene. So they do analysis and then they composite those together and they take really good looking low light photos on that small sensor by compositing like up to 15 shots into one. Wait, so it's, you turn the, you, you turn your camera on, you're ready to say (laughs) it's already doing it. That's, it's already taking photos. 
you, you point it at something and then you press the shutter button and then it takes the shots, even a few after that that button press. But also before, they are already there in the circular buffer, so it keeps throwing out the oldest ones. And um, the, the cameras in the phones do that now. They take pictures constantly as soon as you switch on the camera. And only when you press the shutter button, it will then choose the best ones around that shutter press and composite them into a good looking shot. I did not know that. You've blown my mind. <laughs> That's um, unbelievable. <laughs> Just on the on the cameras there, uh, and I've heard you guys talk about this on your show, uh, th- there is, you were talking about one particular camera, and I can't, I can't remember the model, but th- th- there was one that had a camera and then a Lightroom, uh, Lightroom oh, yeah. as well. Zeiss. Yeah, so um, is that an actual thing, or is that a, uh, something that they're developing? No, it's 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 almost an actual thing. The uh, Zeiss, the ZX one, they they announced this uh, at Photokina this year in Germany, um, and it's a camera. They they've done away. It's a full frame mirrorless camera. It has a fixed thirty millimeter lens. Um, they have done away with uh, card slots. They've just given it half a terabyte of SSD, so it has a it has five hundred something gigabytes of storage on board yeah. it has all the bells and whistles in terms of in terms of connectivity it goes on wi-fi it goes it talks to your smartphone and it has light lightroom mobile built in so it has a big touch screen on the back so you can if you're a street photographer hey that's probably the only camera you'll need you'll just shoot yeah. and then back in the hotel you'll edit and it'll be already waiting for you on your uh on your desktop computer when you return home Okay, so it's it's uploading constantly to to the cloud. Or, if it's if it has where... connectivity to the cloud, I think it will just automatically sync synchronize with with your uh, Creative Cloud account. So if you get rolled on the way home from a shoot and you lose a camera, uh, the the images will still be saved somewhere. That's my assumption at this point. It has been announced. I think they want to release it early twenty nineteen. It's uh, there's no price yet. I would I wouldn't expect it to be a cheap camera for sure. <laughs> um, so I think we're talking three four thousand uh, euros, US dollars in that range at least. So as yeah, a professional yeah. photographer, I don't like that idea because now I've got no because you can say, all right, I'm just going to head back to the office and I'll process the files. But now the client will expect them. No, no, you've got everything you need. Just give them to us now. Just don't tell them. Just don't tell them. Don't tell them. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, that's uh, that's unbelievable. So, all right, um, the improvements in uh, low light photography. Like when I first started shooting, I would never dare think of shooting over four hundred ISO for a long time, for many years. And I've only recently, maybe in the last five years, have I started you know, venturing past a 1,000 ISO, uh, it just seems to be getting better and better and better. And I think that has implications uh, to do with lighting. And what I'm hoping for and wishing for is that someone out there is going to develop a flash LED hybrid. Is that in the works? I have one of those, actually. What? (laughs) But how powerful (laughs) is the LED? I've had it for five years, maybe. I've seen them. Like, you know, the Godox so, that I've got has got a little light that get, you, you can have the continuous light. But they're not, they're not power. It's not like you could do a 
a studio shoot with you know a, a group of five people you, you just won't have the um no the, no that's, that's light true. so I, i'm talking about more powerful uh because we can hopefully the cameras of the future will be able to shoot at higher ISO without all the noise and obviously uh, the technology that we talked about earlier where they can just fill in the gaps so you won't see noise anymore. Um, do, do you guys think that that's something that's not far off? Oh, we, we are definitely on the way. I mean, th there, there are several developments coming together and the one is better sensors and we have seen that in the last 10 years, a constant improvement in ISO performance of sensors. Um, there is what I just talked about, the night side thing, multiple shots. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, I think the official term is exposure stacking. A astrophotographers have done this forever. Yeah. So uh, algorithms to, to stack several short exposures in dark, but they are, they are short, they are sharp, they are noise-free, and then you stack them on top of each other and kind of uh, do, do some, math, some maths there to combine them into a brighter noise-free picture. That is going to trickle down into bigger cameras. Um, so we will need less light, and that's when we will be happy with smaller, lighter, more more battery-efficient LED-based lights um, for even the studio shots. I don't think we will need the big flash systems anymore pretty soon. There will be way more continuous light sources being in use. The light quality is getting better. Um, if I remember having worked with fluorescent lights and switching to LEDs, that has changed everything for me. Yeah. And yeah. And and if I look at how good LEDs are now, um, I often compare that with my home. We have our home. We have 25 LED bulbs here, and we can we can light our home up super bright with just two 200 watts of energy. So we are at a point where several developments are coming together and kind of making it possible to work with different kinds of light sources in the future that's exciting. yeah I, I i like that yeah because i, I like that this is coming because you know the, there's there's no substitute for manipulating and controlling the quality of light you know in, in that sense i mean once, once you get beyond to, to a stage where leds ha, are, are outputting a decent quality of light you know a high cri or whatever metric you choose to use actually you still will need to modify that light and you still need to craft the light and you still need to make the shot your own and and i think the the the, the tools that we see around now i mean i didn't make it to photokina this year in, in germany but there's an equivalent but much smaller show in the uk um, and uh, the, uh, I spent quite a lot of time looking around the, the vendors of lighting equipment. And uh, there are lots and lots of LED pattern, uh, LED uh, panels that now have the ability to maybe flash a couple of stops brighter than they would do just as a continuous light uh, and stuff like that. And you, you still have there all the ability to control different shapes, different shapes of, of light head and things like that. Um, you know, yeah, I mean, it, it, it should make it should make studio photography uh, a lot easier and it, and it will make more it make make it more possible in smaller spaces and tight you know and, and different types of spaces should make it really a lot of creative opportunities perhaps yeah i think that's really exciting news for all photographers uh, that that'll make life a lot easier and but you can still as you say aid make those images your own and i think it's how you choose to shape the light using these uh, smaller tools would will be great um just on the sensors now, uh, 
what's going on with sensor size and shape and materials? Like I've heard all sorts of uh, stuff about what's what's in the pipeline. What do you guys know? <laughs> So I, I see, again, see two developments here. The first is bigger sensors. So you can take a shot with one, uh, with one exposure. And those are the, the full frame. Full frame is, is here to stay. Yeah. And w what we see with the, the recent trend to, to go mirrorless full frame, full frame is definitely here to stay. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's, it's, it gets more expensive when you make bigger sensors. So the medium format sensors are still kind of rare and still kind of expensive, but I think they're getting better at making them. So uh, we might even see some more of those uh, mirrorless full, uh, mirrorless medium format cameras. Um, that's one thing. Uh, shapes of sensors, I'm not sure how they will change. I've seen uh, curved sensors, like mm. to correct image field distortions that the lenses do. So you can... Uh, instead of having to correct the lens, you can correct the sensor. So it looks more like a bowl instead of a flat surface. Yeah. Um, some manufacturers are working on that. I'm not sure how far they are, but uh, it's definitely something that might make cameras smaller and lighter because you can you can get away with uh, simpler lenses. Um, yeah. the... I'm looking forward to, yeah, I, I think uh, I, I'm looking forward to having more sensors. <laughs> And not I just mean, in a phone, but in proper <laughs> in proper cameras. I want a camera with two or three sensors in it that are that are tuned for different things and collectively give me uh, a lot of options creative, creatively. I mean, the, the, yeah, that that's not the future. That's there right now in in phones. Um, but uh, personally, I prefer to hold a real camera in my hand. Yeah, I do shoot with a phone. Yeah, when it's what I've got. But I do prefer to to have a, a proper camera with all the ergonomics and all the yeah all the control. And, and I'm looking forward to, to the blending of those technologies. So sensor size and shape, I, I agree with Chris, full frame is here to stay. But there's a little part of me and this is uh, there's a little part of me that thinks, do you know what? Yeah, that's pretty old school now, isn't it? Let's let, let's move on. <laughs> let's do, let's well, do something a bit the, cleverer. <laughs> the other the other side of that development is that um, that we are seeing multiple smaller sensor cameras in one device. Uh, so on the one side, we have like the megapixel race. On the other side, I see kind of a number of cameras race. Um, the, there's one ca one smartphone out now with three cameras in it uh, pointing away from you. Um, there is a, kind of a semi-announcement by light.co, the, the, the company that made this 16-camera brick. They are working, apparently working on a smartphone with nine cameras built in. And by by adding more cameras into things and and adding computation on the back end, you can use the, m the more small cameras to make a bigger sensor again. Right. So yeah, a it's virtual like, like a radio sensor. telescope, like the, the, it like is, a yeah. radio telescope where you have you know dishes pointed at the sky and and you know they could be uh, a mile apart, you know, or or a, a large array which has got lots of dishes and and collectively they cover a, a large area uh, you know a single it doesn't need to be a single sensor anymore covering that yeah. large area to give you the optical coverage that's amazing uh so just on the cameras how far are we from being able to make calls from our cameras why hasn't someone put a phone in <laughs> what, oh they they what? are they are they are converging there's a big convergence going on at this point 
so that that you know, Zeiss camera, that Zeiss camera has the Wi-Fi in it and the Bluetooth in yeah. it. You know, it run it run, it, and it's not the first camera to run an Android operating system. So you know, uh, I think that there's there's an ergonomic question. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> You've got the microphone the already. The microphone's there, right? You just need yeah. a speaker. I think we have this convergence already. If you if you uh, if you believe Apple's claims, they say they are the world's biggest camera manufacturer. Yeah, and I, I, I tend to believe them. Yeah, yeah, camera assembler probably <laughs> rather than manufacturer. <laughs> <laughs> but it, but but yeah, it, it is. Uh, I, I it, there's there's so much interesting stuff going on. It's it's almost difficult to know where to put it. I mean, yeah, where where to where to look for for predictions. I mean, I I, I we talk sometimes on the future of photography about which camera manufacturers are pushing the boundaries. And, you know, and, and, and you, you can start off with fairly safe conversations like, oh, well, you know, Panasonic have made a lot of effort in video, haven't they? Right? And, and, you know, a lot of people shoot, you know, with Panasonic cameras for video. And that, that's one thing. But then there are others. You know, one of, the, one of the manufacturers that's made a lot of innovative choices recently in, is Leica. Now, they may not be in everybody's budget, but if you think about the range of Leica cameras you could buy today and the different capabilities they bring compared to where they were 10 years ago, they, they, they've almost fundamentally changed their philosophy. And, and I'd be really excited to see where Leica go next. Um, that, that, that could be really interesting. Um, it, and uh, I, I personally happen to shoot with, with Fuji cameras and, and there's a, a recent Fuji released, uh, the Fuji X-T3, yeah. um, which is, which is in, in all the reviews, is, is beating practically every other manufacturer for the quality of its imagery, uh, still imagery and its video. And, and nobody would have said that 10 years ago. <laughs> no. So, the, go, let me go. let me try to bring this around from from the whole professional photography uh, point of view to uh, another thing again Fuji related, which I think is also an exciting development, and I think we are we haven't seen the last of it, and that is Fuji's uh, Instax product because what we see there is a return of the haptic side of film photography, which I'm totally <laughs> excited about. Um, film Instax has been the bulk of Fuji's earnings for at least three years now. It's the biggest part of their business. And I think people with all the digits of the, the virtual photos being somewhere in the cloud or in, on memory cards, um, a lot of people are yearning for a haptic experience for uh, holding a photo in their hand, having it be a one-of-a-kind thing as opposed to infinitely reproducible. So that is a development that I think we will see for several more years um, and new stuff in that area coming out. I hope so because I think people are possibly starting to miss that, that experience of being able to uh, hold that print in their hand and well, to to miss it or to never have had it in the first place, and that's a new discovery for a lot of people. Well, yeah, there's generations of children now that wouldn't have any um, prints of them, that, that their albums are all digital, and mm -hmm. people are losing their phones constantly, forgetting to back them up. So uh, I, I guess there's generations of kids that don't have anything, <laughs> uh, no history of their lives because... They, they lose that data so I think it's it's important just to to, to keep printing stuff um, all right uh, so looking
looking into your crystal balls, uh, what what do you think photography is going to look like in, say, the next two to five years? Then, well, two two year two years is easy. Yeah. Uh, I think mirrors mirrors are history. Yeah. Um, the full frame mirrorless cameras uh, is going to continue. That trend is going to go on, and I think the the two DSLRs that I shoot with are the last ones that have mirrors that's mm. that that'll be my last mirror cameras so i think that's a fairly safe prediction uh smartphones will get more important for sure they will take over they already have taken over for many people when it comes to uh, depth of field effects for a lot of people the portrait mode in your phone is good enough right yeah um same is happening with low light now there are other areas where the smartphones are going to catch up or to take over so the need to buy a bigger sensor camera is going away for a significant portion of of uh let's say non-professional photographers right. at this point uh, for professionals um, then what, what what do you see chris in, in the next couple of years i mean there's one development that we haven't even touched on yet and that is augmented reality the yes. there's a whole bunch of a whole bunch of, of companies working on AR headsets and uh, we are only a, a year or two away from the first commercial AR headsets coming into the mainstream. Magic Leap is working on that, fr frenetically working on that. They have a big developer community now. Um, Microsoft is working on that with HoloLens, more on the enterprise side. Um, it, it, most people will, will not even have a good idea what that means and it it will change photography in terms of taking the photo, in terms of editing photos. Just imagine being able to replace your screen with something that's just virtual. Uh, you could have as many screens as you like just by pressing or just by telling the system to open a new screen. Um, exhibiting photos will be very different. Uh, but that that is more than two years out. That's probably five to ten years out at this point. Wow. Mm. Yeah, interesting stuff. I'm trying to think of stuff I can add to that. That's a fairly comprehensive view forward there. <laughs> I'll, try, I'll, I'll, I'll try and I'll try and think about some, some stuff that I think is going to be different. Um, uh, I think um, Instax. I mean, we've just mentioned Instax, um, but uh, it's something that uh, and and the equivalent of Instax, whatever that might be. I think is going to be increasingly important for all the reasons that you both said. Um, I have Instax cameras. I have a little Instax printer, and I, you know, uh, my 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 Fuji camera, uh, my Fuji mirrorless camera, uh, can wirelessly print Instaxes to the little printer without any computer, any phone getting in the middle. I can, of course, print from my phone as well. So I think that definitely that there's that. I don't think that's ever going to go away. Um, and it seems to be getting more and more popular. So I think that's uh, that, that's going to be a feature in two, five, hopefully ten and more years away. Sorry, um, uh, just, for the, just for the listeners, uh, Instax is that is that a generic name or is that the um, the product name? And can you just oh, there might be people who have never heard of this. What can you just tell us a little bit more about it? 
Sure, sure. Um, absolutely. Yes. So Instax is a, particularly a Fuji brand, a Fuji film brand. Um, and uh, it is, uh, as with old Polaroid, uh, yeah. it is an instant film format. So you, your your film comes out of a slot on the side or the top of your camera and, and your photo materializes before your very eyes. <laughs> it's how exciting big, stuff. How big are they? <laughs> they're, they're like little sort of um, the ones that you got when you went into the photo booth they're about that size are they yeah they they are so they actually they have three sizes at the moment um they have what they call instax mini which is roughly the size of a credit card so it'll fit in your wallet it's actually how i choose to carry photos of my family around in my wallet and i change them every now and again i always have a couple of them in there it fits nicely um then there is a square size um which is like uh, the long side of a credit card but square if you see what i mean oh yeah <laughs> um so it's a bit bigger and and then there's one which is even bigger again instax wide um and uh that that is uh, uh almost as big as a, a traditional polaroid although it has a rectangular shape rather than a square shape um uh, and because it's the biggest it has the best resolution um so sadly the um so some of the cameras that that shoot these things natively um only have plastic lenses so you, you need you need to, to have a, a decent enough camera um or or some way of uh, of uh modifying old cameras which gets into technical spaces so the best way to have a go <laughs> is either to buy uh, a cheap little instance mini camera which in the uk they sell for anything from about 80 pounds so your you know, 80 euros 80 us dollars I'm, I'm not sure that would be in australian probably more like 150 dollars yeah. um uh but the, the, around that price so the, the, there's not a great barrier to entry in terms of cost or another way is to buy one of their printers um i i have one and it's just so much fun and you can take your, you can just shoot with your phone or whatever camera that you have and then you can take uh you can just print out the best photos and give them to people and, they, and, and they're wireless and, aren't they eh? they're wireless yeah they are and, yeah and are the usb powered so you can, uh, how do they work do you need to plug them into mains that's fantastic so it, for location uh photography so if you're ever photographing someone you can give them the shot on the spot yeah i mean do you, do you shoot weddings gina i don't shoot weddings no so um strictly commercial so I'm, I'm but if you travel files. if you but travel for my travel stuff. if you travel i i remember we have been we've, we've been to bhutan in the himalayas and people working in the rice fields and we took pictures and gave them to them and they're probably their most prized possessions at this point because yeah. they just it, it's it's something so out of the norm for them. Um, that kind of stuff is it's ma- it make it makes magical moments. Yeah, I love it that does. idea. That's that's great. I'm going to uh, check that out. So, uh, have you got any other uh, future ideas? I think I think the other thing I'm looking forward to is uh, the technology sorting out the mess that is my photo library. <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, I have all my originals, you know, so I tend to, I try and be a bit disciplined. So I, you know, if I'm shooting digital, I will shoot raw plus JPEG and they all get filed by date and I've got big drives that hold all my backlog of stuff. Um, Am I the most organized person at tagging those and rating them? No. Um, But, you know, there are tools out there now and they're only going to get better that solve that problem for you. Um, yeah, and you know, Google is good at that. Um, they they use a lot of cloud power in Google to 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 uh, automatically tag your images. They're not the only ones by any stretch. 
um, uh, or for those that prefer to use services from companies like Apple. Um, Apple, yeah, the Apple just the basic photos app on your phone or, or on your MacBook, um, that, that's quite good at recognizing faces now and and, and it'll only get better over time. Oh, and things that, as well. Just... Type type in cat into the search uh, of your smartphone and it will find cats. <laughs> it will find cat pictures. Oh, you, you'd be surprised. Uh, it will find cat pictures without you having tagged them now. So they rec already recognize a whole bunch of different Oh, things. yeah. My, my phone's been doing it to me lately where it will just uh, recognize all the people on my phone it's kind of creepy in a way but um i can see where that would be useful for your um <laughs> libraries and aid i think that's a good idea that you shoot raw and uh jpeg I, I say that to all my students to always even if you don't know what to do with the raw files shoot raw because there will come a time when you'll be able you'll you, you'll be glad that you did because there'll be so many things that you can do with that raw file imagine that even if it was just a an entry-level camera that you shot an image with and then you can use some of this uh, new AI to create something that looks like it was shot with a medium format. Yeah, it, it, yeah I mean, it, it's it's um, uh, actually... So, that, funnily enough, that is fairly close too, and I can't remember when it was. It was months ago now, but we did a, a show on the future of photography about uh, computational zoom. Which would which would change the perspective of you know the of the things in the background, the relative size of the things in the background of your image to the things in the foreground of your image, very much like how you get uh, for the same angle of view uh, a difference uh, in perspective from a medium format to a smaller sensor, um, and uh, that's got some interest. You know, so so that will happen <laughs> at some point. Um, that will become a, a product at some point that we'll all have access to. Um, but yeah, so so shooting more great I mean, and i do have um uh, i do have two raid um boxes sat on the shelf sat on the shelf that that back up to each other and things like that so i i do try and be really careful with the with the original images and the original files but i am i am looking forward to the burden of managing those being taken off me by some ai somewhere <laughs> um I do want to let you guys go, but I've just got one more question. I've got actually a million more questions. I'll have to get you guys back on if that's okay. But uh, just on that file storage, because I think this is a really important one, uh, at, no one knows what to do with a floppy disk or a DVD or a CDR anymore, okay? And a lot of people have their images stored on those, and now there's hard drives there, and that will change again where, where USB won't be recognised anymore by computers or by what Chris said where we'll have these virtual computer rooms. What is the future of file storage and, and what what is the safest way to be backing up our files to future-proof them? <laughs> because is... I ask this question to everyone because I'm absolutely obsessed and paranoid about it. This is changing right now. I mean, we, we're looking at, at a lot of things moving into the cloud, which is just another word for someone else's computer, yeah, right? I don't trust uh, the cloud, Chris. <clears throat> I don't trust well, it at all. I, I, well, companies could go away yes. and then you could lose data. And 
I'm at this point, I am, I still have my NAS down in the basement, my network attached storage, and it saves photos for me. So I have my originals down there, but I have to manage it. And I think yeah. we are looking we're for, for the, for the average Joe who doesn't want to do this or doesn't have the, the ability to do it. Um, I think the cloud is where it's going. So you pay a company a certain amount and then they will take, uh, take those pictures and your files on their on their drives and uh, maybe for safety people might want to go for like, like a second cloud provider and have two clouds and then if one goes away the other's still there maybe that's where it's going i don't think it's uh totally totally uh, uh it's totally unrealistic you, so you yeah, recommend yeah i agree i think it really you i think it's a number cloud or well, no, I think it's a numbers game as as ever, right? So I have at least two copies of everything, you know, at home, um, but uh, other stuff goes into the cloud. I don't, I don't have personally a a full cloud backup of stuff. What I personally do is I tend to take the the selects, you know, the the better photos, and and I put them on cloud systems uh, for backup so that's my third backup so for example you know it, i i also have although because it's a manual process it's very out of date um uh, i have a, a, a an off-site backup a physical off-site backup on a drive um and uh, that's held uh, outside my house but because that's a manual process it's always behind the times so uh, you know but i i think you know as ever with backups you know these companies they come and they go um yeah and you know it's nice to be in control of your own data but you need either a proper way of having off-site backups as well as on-site backups or just make a make use of it all you know make use of it all and um, there are so many advice. services out there yeah, yeah. And, and, and i think um uh backing up and then constantly uh, if you if you do want to keep your files and you are paranoid about the, it's not because what I was told it's not a matter of if your hard drive will fail, it's 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 when it'll fail. Yes. It'll fail oh eventually. yeah, yeah, absolutely. They all fail, yeah. and so the the advice I've had every time I'm ever with uh, any uh, technicians or anyone high up in the hard drive industry, that I corner them and I'm like, okay, what should I do? And they all say the same thing. It's just every every few years take all your data and move it along onto new hard drives. And it's like, oh, I started out with CDs backing up and then I moved to DVDs and then I think we were getting 256 uh, size um, hard drives and they went to, you know, a gig and now, now they're huge, right? So what I do is I just get the latest and, and move them along every, every few years. I think that's kind of the best yeah. you can do at the moment. It, it is. And keep if they're discs, if they're actual spinning discs, keep them spinning. Because uh, one of the things that one of the things that will um, that, that will happen to them and will make them fail quicker is if you don't actually spin them up every now and again. So if you've got stuff that's sitting there in a cupboard that's not being used and it could be there for months and months and months, that has a higher op a higher chance of failure. So um, with solid state storage, it's less of an issue these days. But most of us for our big backups are still using spinning discs. I know I do. Um, and so I make sure that those discs are spun up once a week or so just to keep them moving yeah i think the solid states will drop in price though don't you think 
Oh yes, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I could probably because because I am an amateur. My my data store at the moment is somewhere around I think one and a half terabytes, right. and that's very easy. That's very easy to handle in both the cloud uh, and uh, on solid state drives locally at the moment. I happen to have two RAID enclosures, both with mirrored disks in it. So there's four disks on my shelf that all have the same content on them. So that helps. That helps me manage if one of those disks were to fail, I, I wouldn't lose any data at all. Um, but, you know, the, everybody has it different. It's, you've got to do what's right for you and what you need for your images. It's good to hear you're suitably paranoid, eh? <laughs> uh, it's it's, you it's just a numbers game. You yeah, it's, oh, it's and same, same here. Same yeah, here. I have, yeah. a, I have a, a hard disk for backups connected to my, to my desktop. It's a time machine. I have my network attached storage in the basement and i have a cloud backup so i have multiple copies and in multiple locations just to be on the safe side yeah that's yeah that, i think that's a, a reasonable way to do it um all right it, do you guys have anything to add any any other little uh pe- looks into the future well nothing nothing <laughs> else nothing other than it's going to be exciting it we're just exciting. in the middle of a big change right now all yes right. it is exciting very much Fantastic. All right. Well, I I think we'll leave it there, and uh, hopefully, I can get you guys back on, and because uh, definitely there'll be more exciting things uh, in the pipeline for sure. So, thank you both. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Aid, for being. Thanks on for the having show. us. Yeah, you're welcome. It's been good fun. Thanks, guys. There you go, Chris and Adrian. That was cool. And, of course, they've got uh, quite a number of different websites depending on where you want to go. So the main one is thefutureofphotography.com. However, you can check out all of their websites. We'll put all of the links in the show notes, uh, which you can find at ginamilitia.com. Now, what are you doing in the coming week before you head off to very sunny Bali? Are you going to go surfing in Bali? Do you surf? Uh, No. I want to, no, okay. but, you know, okay. there's only so much I can, it's like, it's, a, no, do you know why? I don't like Go being on. cold. And cold? So, yeah, it's not cold in Bali. Yeah, I know, but I'm the that person that will go in and then get out again of the water. I don't, and then surfing is, it's just, it's cold. And then you've got to go through the year. Like, where am I going to surf in Melbourne? No, just in Bali. Yeah, but I don't want to be a – you know I'm an all-or-nothing kind of person. All so right, So if I got fine. into it, I'd be going, I'm oh going to jump out of a helicopter and surf those big mother waves. No. Okay, fine. <laughs> no, so I'm uh, – it's – you know what it's like when I'm about to leave somewhere. It's like the frantic dash mm. to get everything done. So uh, I'm just finishing up um, – a, a massive job that I've been working on for the last 40 million hours. And I'm also, uh, I've been, I've just finished the CCs for the goal community. Uh, That's members. the constructive, constructive critiques. Constructive critiques. So I've just finished recording those and a whole bunch of uh, tutorials that I'll roll out uh, before Christmas. So, and then, yeah, all of that fell. Awesome. Well, the gold community are very spoilt and uh, I love uh, gold members. I think that they get access to some pretty incredible tutorials from you and also feedback from you and uh, a wonderful private Facebook group that uh, they can ask all of their questions. And if you're interested in finding out more about the gold community, have a listen to this.
Hey guys, are you an enthusiast or pro photographer who wants to take their photography to the next level? I'd love the opportunity to work with you and I want to introduce you to my Gold Community. The Gold Community is an educational resource where members get access to photography courses and regular tutorials. There's over 200 tutorials with more being added each month. In these tutorials, I take you on set with me and I share my thought process behind scouting locations, posing and directing models, lighting and post-production. You get to see the entire shoot from start to finish, from surface in Sri Lanka using a single speed light to character portraits on the streets of Sicily using daylight or high-end studio shoots where I share all my posing and connecting hacks. There's also regular photo critiques, monthly live calls and heaps more. As a member, you'll also have access to my exclusive Facebook group and online forum where you'll be able to connect with other members from all over the world. So what are you waiting for? Join the Gold community today and start taking the kind of photos you've always dreamed of. You can check it out at ginamilitia.com. All right, so that's some information about the gold community and uh, we'd love to have you in there. So what are you most looking forward to in Bali, Gina? Uh, To start with the plane trip because (laughs) I don't think I've had a second to like rest for forever. So Mm -hmm. that's five hours where it's uninterrupted it's just bliss, Val. I'm going to load up okay. my iPad with stuff to watch. Okay. It's my happy place. Cool. All yeah. right. Yeah. Binge watching That's... and th- just drinking cups of tea. What are you going to watch? I just recommended you something, didn't I, before we pressed record. So um, Norseman, the mm. weirdest, weirdest, weirdest Netflix show there is. Uh, the Marvelous Mrs. Wacky. Maisel is what I'll be watching. Oh, yes, I've heard about that. All right, you'll have to let us know. Anyone still listening, you, you can go. go. We're done. There's nothing, there's nothing <laughs> else coming up. You can probably leave because we're just going to crap on about nothing. If that's now, the case, Belle. Gina, then where do we find if you? Anyone's still listening, boogie board. You don't want to take a boogie board to Bali, Gina. One word, Chappelle. Yeah. Okay. Where do we find you online, Gina? Find me at ginamilitia.com. That's G-I-N-A-M-I-L-I-C-I-A. And I'm on Instagram and Twitter. I'm in the podcast Facebook community. And if you want to connect with me, if you want to take your photography to the next level, come and check out the Gold community. So just go to ginamilitia.com and click on join the community. What about you, Val? You can find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O on Twitter and Instagram, and you can find me at ValerieKoo.com. But, yeah, make sure you join us um, in the Facebook group because we'd love to connect with you there as well. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Photographer. For more information, free resources, and Gina's regular newsletter on everything you need to know to become a successful photographer, visit ginamilitia.com.